Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. First, I want to just mention uh, thanks to Pastor Brad for giving me this privilege of having an opportunity to share the gospel with you on the very first Sunday of the church year, at the beginning of Advent, and before people whose faces I have come to know over these last many years, really. Uh, though I may not know every name, every, na- every face here is familiar, and what a pleasure it is to have this opportunity. And then, to have as the text, the Magnificat, you know, the words that Mary speaks before Elizabeth when they are together. It's a marvelous, marvelous opportunity. This truth that we have to share is so valuable and so important. It really is a, a truth that is stranger than fiction. Have you ever heard that phrase before? But I'll bet you've never heard the explanation to it that was given by Mark Twain. Mark Twain put it this way, truth is stranger than fiction, because it is, but it is because fiction is obliged to stick to possibilities. Truth isn't. And you see, this is what the Magnificat is all about, is that an impossibility has become the truth. This is incredible. There are many miracles, of course, that are recorded for us in Scripture. And we might think that among those great miracles, creation itself would be one of the most powerful. After all, here we have nothing, and suddenly, by God's word, there's everything. But even with creation as a miracle, there's the distinction being presented between the Creator and the creation. But the Magnificat is all about the incarnation, which is God taking on human flesh to come as our Savior. This now is a truth that is stranger than fiction, which takes and blends the Creator with the creation. And for what purpose? For the purpose of salvation, to save the creation from sin. And so we look at this marvelous words that are spoken and it is, these, these are Mary's response to the impossible, the extraordinary, the incredible, the miraculous, and the true. You know this story so very, very well. The angel comes to Mary and announces to her that she is going to bear the promised Messiah. She responds, because she is a virgin after all, she responds, how can this possibly be? And the angel responds, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And that's all the explanation that we get for this incredible miracle that takes place. And then, and then of course, uh, Mary in her humility responds, let it be to me according to your will. And the angel says, for nothing will be impossible with God. Some months later, then, Mary comes to visit Elizabeth. And, of course, you know, Elizabeth is also expecting. She is with child with John the Baptist. And, and how I like that phrase, with child. Isn't that more expressive than the terms we ordinarily use today? 
And of course, when Mary approaches, why, John the Baptist leaps in her womb. It's just such a marvelous scene that's taking place. And then she speaks the words of the Magnificat. What is so special about Mary in this situation? What is special about Mary and what is needed for the plan that God has for salvation is an entry point. There needs to be a portal. There needs to be something that allows the Creator to come into creation. And Mary becomes that portal. No wonder this is so extraordinary. Martin Luther wrote a, uh, an essay of about 60 pages on the Magnificat, of which I will not share the entirety with you <laughs> this morning. But he had to restrain himself from going further with this because it is such a magnificent thing. You know, he points out the irony the exi- that exists. This humble Mary. Weren't there, after all, eligible young girls in the household of the Herodian family? The rulers, the political rulers? Weren't there eligible young women in the households of Annas and Caiaphas, the chief priest households of that day? Of course there were. But God did not choose from those households. Instead, a humble virgin in a obscure, out-of-the-way village with an unseemly, uh, besmirched uh, reputation, not the virgin, the, the village. Yet that's, that's where the miracle takes place. Mary is so so humble in her response. It's striking, isn't it, how she takes no honor for this on herself? Oh, of course, she does say, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, and all generations have of believers since that day called her blessed. But then she immediately follows that by explaining where this blessedness comes from. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She, she doesn't say, oh, I am exalted, and how holy my name must be, because I've been chosen. No, how holy is his name, the one who has done the great things for her. I do have to quote this word from Luther here, because he says, when a prince takes a poor beggar by the hand, it is not the beggar's lowliness but the prince's grace and goodness that is to be commended. And so it is also with Mary. It's the goodness and grace of God that is to be commended. So it should not be surprising to you, because you see the way in which Mary divides this Magnificat, which she speaks is first, she talks about what the incarnation means for her, And then she talks about what the Incarnation means for the world. And what does the Incarnation mean for her, but that now the Savior has come. And so it shouldn't surprise you either that in humility the message comes to you. For after all, aren't there many brilliant, intelligent, and powerful people among us in the world today who do not care any less than possible about the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet the message has come to you. The message of Jesus, the Savior, 
who has come in order to offer to us forgiveness. You might be weak. You might be powerless. You might be poor. You might be marginalized in many different ways. But the message of the gospel has come to you, where you are in your life place. So Mary talks about what the Incarnation means to her, and then she goes on to talk about what the Incarnation means for the world. Perhaps, perhaps when Paul wrote these words in 1 Corinthians, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God, perhaps perhaps he was thinking of Mary, or perhaps he was thinking of you or me. For to us has come this marvelous message. Well, what does the Incarnation mean then for the world? The Incarnation means for the world that where there was darkness, now there is light. Where there is weakness, now there is strength. Where there were opposites, the opposites have now been corrected with the bringing of the true one, the Messiah, into the world. And then in in her words, she says this, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Uh, Have you been following the news recently? If you have, you may have noticed that there are several mighty thrones that are empty right now. There are those who have been cast down, thrones that are empty, Mighty brought down. Yeah. See, that's what happens when sin is exposed. And you have to have the thought in mind, don't you, that you don't want to listen to the news any longer because you're afraid that maybe some public person that you really admire is going to be the next one to fall? Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. What you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed from the housetops or on social media. And then, how does the world react when this happens? the world and the society and the culture, they're they're surprised. They're shocked. How could this be? How this is terrible. Well, yes, it is terrible. But you're not surprised. I'm not surprised. This is what happens in a fallen world. This is what happens when temptation overwhelms. This is what happens when people fall into sin. This is what happens because we know that out of the human heart comes sin. And so the world 
looks at this incarnation as well and sees it as the incoming of justice. Yes, things will be set right. But what the world often will miss, and usually does, is that not only with the incarnation does justice come into the world, but with the incarnation, forgiveness comes into the world. Forgiveness through the blood shed by Jesus Christ. Yes, you see, what Jesus comes to do by dying on the cross and rising again is just as effective for the rich as it is from the poor. We might hear these words and begin to think, well, does God even care about the rich or does God love the rich? It would seem perhaps that he does not. No, God loves all and would have all to be saved. But when this message comes, we see that it's powerful not only for the poor, but for the rich. The forgiveness of sin is just as powerful for the powerful but miserable rich as it is for the powerless but miserable poor. And when... When the words come that the mighty are thrown down from their thrones and, and they are brought low and the rich are sent empty away, yes, that is the law that's directed toward them. But what is the purpose that God has for that law? The purpose is that they may come to repentance of sin. Just as for the poor and the powerless, so that through Jesus Christ's shed blood, they too might have the forgiveness of sin. See, this is why at the end of the Magnificat, Mary emphasizes what's happening for the world by the fulfillment that God is making for all of his promises. The promises that he gave to, gave to Adam and Eve, the promises that he gave through David, the, Adam, the promises that he gave through, through Daniel, because he directs their thoughts back to the promise that he gave to Abraham. And what words were those? In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. In Advent, we are celebrating the promises of God fulfilled for us as Mary recognized that she, being the portal through whom the Savior would come, was also bringing that blessing for her and for you. But this is also for the world a message that's our responsibility then to share with them. There is a term that is used in theology for Mary that you're probably not familiar with, but I want you to learn this morning. The term is theotokos. Anybody know this term before? (laughs) Anyone seminary educated would have come across this term. It's Greek, and it means God-bearer, or another way of understanding it would be mother of God. Because you see, Mary giving birth to the second person of the Trinity is mother of God. Are any of you familiar with the TV program Jeopardy? Yeah, okay, most of you are familiar. Okay, I have to tell you this story. In 2003, well, every year... Jeopardy has a college edition that they put together where college students from different places are, are, are invited to come and there's three contestants. Well, in 2003, 
there was a contestant, her name was Heather Groggle, from Concordia University, Wisconsin, where I was teaching at the time, and she made it, I don't know how she got on there, but she was on Jeopardy! And she was there with someone from the University of Chicago and someone from the University of Florida and Concordia University, Wisconsin. Well, it so happened, and you know how this works, there's actually an answer on the card and then they have to give their response in the form of a question. So, at one point during the program, the answer came up, Nestorius caused a church crisis when he denied that this person was the Theotokos. And Heather punched the button before anybody else could and said, who is Mary? Oh, you know, because all of Concordia was watching this on TV. And oh, how we cheered. And especially the theology department, because this is a test question in biblical theology, the course. Wow, we're so proud of it. By the way, Heather Groggle right now is a Lutheran teacher in Huntsville, Alabama. I found this on the internet just this week. Who, who is Mary? She is the God-bearer, the mother of God, the portal through whom God, the creator, enters creation to save creation. We are that creation. We are those he saves. This is the beginning of Advent. Amen.